All right. Yes, I did. So, yeah, we... uh <laughs> We're jumping all over the place. No, uh, but if you want, yeah, if you want, I can give you the one from 10. Um, but yeah, it just, I couldn't really just cram that in. I wanted to make its own devotion out of that because that's such an amazing little chapter. So, all right, well, we'll go ahead and get started this evening. So thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, I do want to share a couple announcements real quick. And uh, one thing I want to make you aware of is uh, we talked about this uh, last year at the beginning of the year, and we also talked about this on the um, uh, Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church through Voice of the Martyrs. So every year they put out a global prayer guide, and so they just uh, put out the ones for this year, for 2024. So if you didn't get one last year, it literally goes through all the different countries um, and how you can pray for each country, how you can pray for the believers in that country, what God is doing there. Some are more restricted than others, um, and so some, some believers in some countries are able to be more outspoken, more open. Um, some are more restricted and under more kind of, kind of secret church or underground church, and so it, it lists a lot of things about the country, uh, about the situation, the politics of that country. Here, we also have prayer guides from last week that we gave out, so if you missed one of those, they're up here as well. Um, but there's also some of these out here by the missions wall, so whether you want to grab one up front, grab one from the magazine rack out there, wherever you want to get one. I encourage you to get one. Um, it's a great resource to be praying through different things. And so don't miss out on that. All right. Uh, with that, I do want to jump into some other announcements. Uh, one big thing, uh, this Saturday, some of you know, we moved our family game night uh, from uh, this last Saturday to this week. Um, just with the weather and everything, we just thought that was the best idea. The back roads sounded like they're not the best. So we went ahead and did that. So this Saturday from four to seven is family game night. And what that is, is literally just the time to come together. It's for the whole family. And so you bring your favorite board game, card game. If you don't have one, we'll have a table with a bunch of different games in the back. Um, the fellowship hall will be all set up with tables and chairs. You come in, grab a game, find someone that's playing a game you want to play, sit down, have some fun. Uh, we will have a, uh, a bounce house uh, that will be set up in this room, back in this corner over here. So we'll have that in separate because those fans are really loud. So that will be going on. So, again, because this is a family event, there's no child care. Um, and so the kids are able to engage in the games as well. Um, also, dinner is included in this. And this is not, again, this is not just for our church family. If you have anyone you'd like to invite, please feel free to do that. It's completely free. Um, and uh, the dinner is going to be some authentic Mexican food. And so uh, Layla and Kaylin are going to be taking care of the food for us. So you don't want to miss out on that. If you were here last year, she did an amazing job with all the food. So she's doing that again this year. All right. So don't miss out on that. So this Saturday, 4 to 7, come on out. It's going to be a great time. Um, also want to let you know, we do have our uh, snack night for the student ministry that was going on. Again, supposed to go on this last Sunday night. That's being moved until this Sunday night. So it's right after church until 9. Students just need to bring $3 uh, and their own drink, soda, whatever. Um, also, uh, with the teen ministry, I'm thinking about Word of Life and stuff as well. So I just want to share this real quick. Uh, all you guys that, are, that have children or grandchildren at this month, um, it goes towards this snowman challenge that they're doing. Uh, but it just kind of got me to, to be, uh, take a moment and just encourage you to be encouraging your students, uh, grandchildren, children, uh, to keep up on their verses, to keep up on their devotions. Just keep encouraging them to be memorizing those verses and, and striving for those goals. And so, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to do an award ceremony. And uh, it's not so much about the award, but it's about celebrating them and all the hard work they put in. And so um, 
just a really cool story real quick. Is Sandra just shared this with me as we were coming in. Um, there's uh, one of the students in Word of Life who uh, does, is kind of, she's, how do I say this? She's the one that drives herself to do the devotions. There's not, I don't think there's a lot of like mom and dad encouragement. I don't think they're discouraging it, but I don't think they really push her. Um, I think she kind of pushes herself. And so she uh, made a comment that she had a commitment to want to be in her devotions every day moving forward. And Sandra shared and, and memorized a verse a week. So just think about that for yourself. To not only do devotions every day, for some of us, it's like, that, that's a challenge. But then also memorize a different verse every week. Um, and she's been killing it. She's been doing awesome at it. Um, she's one of the older students. And uh, Sandra's just been really trying to encourage that. So that's what's going on down the hallway there. These kids are getting engaged in God's word. They're memorizing God's word. And what a blessing that we get to support them in prayer. We get to support those leaders and volunteers by praying for them and supporting Word of Life. So if you have a child, it doesn't matter where they're at on their, their goals. Um, maybe they haven't gotten membership yet. Maybe they have membership, but they're not at a, a metal level. Um, it's not really about that. It's about them achieving those little steps, right? So if your child maybe struggles with devotions and for, for your child, two or three devotions a week is a win, then, then awesome. Then we're going to applaud that. They're going to be encouraged, uh, whatever that is for them. that's going to help them walk with Christ a little bit more today than they did yesterday. So be praying for that. Encourage the kids to be involved in their devotionals and verse memorization and all that. It's an awesome thing to do. Also, I want to let you know we do have our Discovering Church membership. Uh, we are going to be offering another class. Uh, that's going to be February 4th and February 11th. And so those are two weeks, um, two one-hour classes. And so if you're interested in that, uh, you want to find out more information about our church here, what it means to be a member of the church, how to join, all those kind of things, uh, we encourage you to be a part of that. Um, again, that's going to be at 4.30 on those two weeks, the 4th and the 11th. Uh, Hallelujah Quilters has their quilting craft retreat going on the 9th and 10th of February. And so uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. You can sign up if you'd like to be a part of that. Um, uh, Friday night, they are doing a potluck, so you can bring a dish to pass if you'd like to be a part of that. You don't have to stay for the whole weekend. You can come and go as you need to. And so it's going to be an awesome time there. Also want to let you know, uh, we've done this the last so many years. We're doing it again. Uh, Football Sunday is going to be February 11th. And so that's going to be in our morning service. And so we kind of just really kind of steer into the whole Super Bowl thing, have some fun with it. Um, And so it's a great way to invite people out to the service, just to kind of, maybe if they're not very churched or not in a church, invite them out. We're going to do some fun things in the service. And obviously the big goal is to preach and and share the gospel, that somebody would come to Christ. And so that's going on. So football Sunday, again, February 11th, uh, invite someone to join you. And then also, if you do have any kind of a football jersey or anything, we always encourage as many people can and want to wear some football stuff. And again, just kind of some fun with it. Uh, Our junior church, our older junior church class, first through sixth grade, will be in the service with us as well that morning. All right, so a lot of fun there. Um, Also want to let you know, Forever Young Potluck is coming up this Sunday, uh, right after service. So 50 plus crowd or over 50 crowd, however you want to say that, you're invited to be a part of that fellowship time. Bring a dish to pass. Also, we have Baptism Sunday this Sunday. So we're so excited about that. As of now, we have two that have come to follow the Lord and Believer's Baptism, and we're super excited for them. And so that'll be going on this Sunday as well. All right. So lots of great things going on. So excited for all the Lord has ahead. And so pray that you can be a part of wherever God is leading you to be plugged into. All right. If there's any questions or, or comments about any events, anything that I can answer before we pray? 
All right. If you guys would be in prayer before we pray, just to share this real quick, because I'll probably and uh, pray with uh, a family. Uh, the, the gentleman was 89. He was on hospice, um, unresponsive, and, and pretty well on his way out. Um, uh, and uh, but knew the Lord from what the family told me, and so they had called uh, the hospice, and the hospice had was looking for someone, uh, just a pastor in the area to go pray with his family, and so we got a call, so we were able to, we were blessed to go down there and just kind of pray with the family and spend some time there. Uh, we got a call a couple hours later that the gentleman did pass and went home to be with the Lord, and so um, the family name, give me a second here, I'm remembering their first names, uh, Murphy is the last name. And so the gentleman who passed, his name was Monroe Murphy. Uh, So I I believe I'm getting that right. So uh, be praying for the Murphy family as they walk through that road. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. And we'll ask the Lord to be with our service tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your love and grace in our life and and all the opportunities you give us to, to share you and to share your love and grace with those around us. And so, Father, at this time, we do lift up the Murphy family, Lord. We pray that you would just minister your grace and your comfort there in the loss of Monroe, Lord. And and, uh, it sounds like he lived a very full life, impactful life, Lord. And uh, what a blessing it was to be in that home today and just to see that living room full of people uh, that have gathered together around that bed to, uh, to remember and to honor and to just be thankful for a life well lived. And so we pray, Lord, that, um, that he knew the gospel, that that was professed to us, that he had a relationship with you. So we, we pray that was the case, Lord, and we pray that he's in your presence now and, and rejoicing in the joy and rest of the Lord. Uh, Father, we pray for any family that was there in the room as the gospel was shared uh, today. We pray that if there was anyone there that didn't know you and doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that through today that they were able to um, hear that truth and a seed was planted and that that would give, uh, give root and produce uh, a salvation in those hearts and minds of those that were there. Father, we thank you for the eternal life that you promised us, the guarantee of eternal life, the hope that we have in Christ that goes beyond this world. Uh, Lord, that that this world is fleeting. Uh, This is not our home. We are merely passing through. And so I pray that we would uh, just be resting in you in seasons of uncertainty, seasons of doubt, seasons of struggle, uh, Lord, uh, seasons of blessing, that we would know that there's, there's something more. And so thank you for the salvation you give us, the eternal life that you provide to us, all by grace through faith, and that we can have a hope and a guarantee of eternal life when we leave this world. Father, we just lift up uh, the service tonight, Lord, be with everything going on the, as the word is preached and given, that we would uh, apply it to our hearts and minds, Lord, that we would be changed because of it. And we pray for our Word of Life ministry tonight, Lord, the Gopher Buddies and Olympians just minister there. Thank you for those kids, their love for your word, their desire to memorize and to spend time in your word. Help us, Lord, as parents and grandparents and just church uh, members and attenders that we can just rally around those kids and just pray over them and encourage them in their walk with you and just get excited for them as they continue to grow in Christ. And thank you for the volunteers and leaders that give up their time uh, to come and serve and and love on those kids. And uh, Lord, to do it all for your glory. Father, we also take a moment and we just lift up Andy and her family, uh, Lord, with the home going of her mom. And and Lord, we just pray that you'd continue to comfort the family, uh, give your grace and your peace there, Lord. Thank you for, again, a life well lived and and a knowledge of salvation that brings eternal life. Uh, Father, we also thank you that you are are, are not a high priest that is distant, but that you are intimately involved in every moment that we go through. And and you invite us before your throne that we might find grace and mercy at the proper time. And so thank you for all that you provide to us. 
how you work in and through us, and we'll give you all the praise. And Father, again, we thank you for tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are continuing in our Revelation study, and so we're going to cover a few chapters tonight. So I need some volunteers. So I need a clipboard person, a pen person, and a handout person. And ready, go. Okay, we got one. Who else? Come on, don't hesitate. You guys know the deal. And please uh, raise your hand. All right. And then uh, we can go ahead and open to Revelation 12 as you're waiting for those things to come around. Revelation 12. And we are going to move through uh, all the way through verse or verse chapter 16. So we're going chapter 12 through 16. All right. So we're going to cover quite a bit of ground. Uh, Again, we're not going to read verse by verse, but we'll kind of just give you an overview of where we're going. All right. Anyone need a, if you need a pen and all that, let us know. Yeah, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground. So as I've said before, if you uh, missed any of our Revelation study, um, we would encourage you, number one, uh, most of those, not all of them, um, there was a uh, technical error because the pastor doesn't know how to record stuff on the soundboard, apparently. Um, and so I may or may not have thought I was recording some Wednesday nights and really wasn't. It was just for pretend. Um, so, yeah, if you hit one button, it stops and saves the file. If you hit another button, it just stops and doesn't do anything. Um, so, yeah, I thought I was doing really good. And then TJ was like, what are you, no, what are you doing? Um, so uh, some of those are on there. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say all of them are on there. Um, but if you missed a week and you would like um, handouts that week, if you would like anything like that, please see me. I would love to give you more of those. I can give them to you digitally. I can print them off and give them to you, whatever you would need. All right. Um, so is everyone good? Everyone has a handout, a clipboard if you want one, and or a pen if you want one. All right. So we're moving into a portion of Revelation that is... Uh, definitely um, uh, a lot of figurative symbolic language, which has caused a lot of people some confusion, um, a lack of clarity on some things, like what in the world is being talked about here. So before we get into it, we're going to take just a second and remind ourselves, what is the point of Revelation? What is the point of this book? Number one, to exalt Christ above everything else. Number two, to be practically encouraging to the believer. So if you've noticed, there's a little bit of a rhythm to Revelation so far. There's a time of great praise in heaven, right? We talked about that. There's a time of great worship, and we get to celebrate all of that and see what's going on there. And then there's a section of talking of judgment, right? Judgments that will come. And then there's time of talking about how the martyrs in Christ are are rewarded and celebrated and all of that. And then there's a time of judgment. And then there's another break where it's a time of just reminding John that God is in control, that God is working all things for his good, that God is blessing his children, that Christians are kept in Christ, that we don't need to fear, and then there's more time of judgment. And so there's this kind of this rhythm where I I said it last week, I'm so thankful that God understands us and he understands John. And he doesn't just unload all of this on John all at once without giving him these little breaks to remind him, listen, I know this is a lot, 
but I'm in control. Here's the purpose and plan. Here's how I'm being glorified. Here's how I'm being worshiped in that. And he's given these little like pictures into the heavenly worship. And I think that just lifts John's spirits. I think that just kind of helps him to realize this is some really serious, weighty stuff that I'm having to communicate and it's overwhelming me. And so God gives him these little pauses and breaks. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful God does that in our lives. Right? You ever have God be dealing with you on something or you're trying to grow in some area and he's working in you and through you and it's maybe a little painful and then there's a season of just rest where you're just enjoying his grace, enjoying his presence and then after a season of that, he takes you down another road of just molding you and shaping you and then there's a season of rest. I love that our God is not only working all these things for, his, for our good and his glory, but he's also gracious to us to work in a way that we can handle it, I guess, if I can say it that way. He's not trying to overwhelm us. He's working in and through us for his glory. And so we're moving into a walk through here. Again, if you looked hard enough, you could find probably three or four other views on the same thing. There's lots of opinions here. So when I say this is what people say or this is what the majority think, it may not be what everyone thinks, but it's usually the majority held view of that portion of scripture, okay? So you're, you may have a Bible that has commentary in it. You might read the commentary and that person says something different than what I tell you. That's okay because that's going to happen. But remember, the words on the bottom, the commentary, that's not inspired, right? The words up at the top, that's inspired. My words are not inspired. This word, the, the book of Revelation is inspired, but sometimes our opinions of what's being said, we have to be careful. We know those aren't inspired. Those are just merely that, educated scholarly opinions but still not the inspired word of God. So just know that kind of as we go into this, all right? So at the top of your hand out there, we're moving into chapters 12 through 16 in our study and see the unfolding of the coming judgment upon the world. In Revelation 6 through 19, there is mention of many different judgments, none of which are pleasant, but are believed there to draw men to Christ. We're actually going to see in one of these passages specifically talked about the gospel. So again, this is not just God being vindictive. This is all meant to bring about judgment and justice, but still the offer of, of the gospel is present. Before we get into the bold judgments, which would be the next set of seven judgments, we've already covered um, the uh, seal judgments, right? Those seven, then the trumpet judgments, there were seven there. And then the bowl or vile judgments, those are another set of seven. Again, some people think, it's all the same judgments, just repeated from a different point of view. Others say, no, there's actually 21, and they're just consecutive. They're just going to keep going. Um, again, we would believe that these are consecutive judgments. There's seven, and then seven, and seven. Um, and again, note that number seven means what? Perfection. What does the three represent? A trinity. Yep, absolutely. So you see that again, that's there on purpose, okay? Um, so before we get into the bold judgments, there are a couple things we need to address or look at. Uh, in this portion of Revelation, we read a very interesting and at times confusing imagery and words uh, of words and events. Many believe this is an introduction to a new section of the vision and takes us on an overview of history from the birth of Christ to the treading the winepress of God's wrath. So it's kind of like an overview at this point when we open up chapter 12. All right. So chapter 12, look at verse 1. And again, we're not going to read all of this. I'm just going to read this opening verse. Um, actually a couple of verses here, and then we'll kind of break it apart. All right. So chapter 12 and verse one, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. 
And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head, heads. And his tail drew uh, the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God, and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a, piece, a place prepared of God that uh, they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So, got all that? Makes perfect sense, right? When you read that, I don't know if you're like me, I start trying to picture that in my head. That's some weird stuff. Like, I, I love when pastors read through that stuff and like, uh-huh, and they just move on. I'm like, well, time out. A dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And what is all that about? But again, remember, stepping back, this is figurative language. This is a vision that John is being shown. So these numbers mean something, okay? And so a lot of times when it talks about, again, this number of ten, it's talking about this idea of ruling, right? This tree here represents this kind of delivered. And there's this red dragon. And what does the dragon want to do? Devour the child as soon as it's born. But what happens? The child's actually saved or preserved, right? And next thing you know, it says it was taken unto God and unto the throne. This child also, what does it say about this child as far as what this child's going to do? It was going to rule all nations, right? With an iron rod. That's, that's an authority. That's something that's like solid, right? So I'm going to break down a little bit of what we see here. And again, we're not going to go through all of it, but I'll give you kind of this opening and then we'll kind of jump around. But I encourage you guys to read these chapters again through the week, um, and don't let some of the imagery and those symbolic phrases kind of throw you. Just again, remember, this is kind of a vision type or sort of some symbolic figurative language, okay? Kind of prophetic language. So we see here letter A. Um, I'm going to grab a blank just so I make sure I don't skip something on you guys or for you guys. So letter A, we see here uh, a woman, uh, great with child. Uh, many believe this is the church, glorious and unchanging. So some would say this, the child represents Jesus, right? And so that's why some people say it's the church. I've heard other people say this is representative of Mary, the mother of Jesus, you know, that idea. Um, but for the theological view that I've found most common is it does refer to the church, okay? And so... Um, Israel would be another. Some have said Israel. Um, so it depends. And again, on their, where their starting point is. Um, the, to me, the more important part of this is the child. Like that's really the emphasis there. Um, because the child obviously is one who will rule all nations. Uh, number two, the red dragon in heaven wanting to devour the child. This is seen as Satan. Okay, Satan. Um, what in the text makes us think it may be Satan? Okay, what's that? Okay, okay. So the, the fact that he wants to devour the child and and end Christ's life, right, and kill the child. What did you say, Julie? Mm-hmm. Yep, a third of the stars of heaven. Yep angels that fell right with him. Um, so again, that one that's pretty much, not unanimous, but a lot of people believe that's what's referred to there. 
Um, moving on through there, you're also going to see that there are mention of the beasts. The beasts. So they're mentioned in chapter 13. Uh, there are two beasts mentioned in chapter 13, one from the sea and one from the earth. Uh, a reference may be Daniel 7. So that's in your notes there. Um, there are many opinions on what these represent. So who are these beasts that are spoken of here? Um, some say the first beast is Antichrist, a political leader, and the second an apostle, uh, I'm sorry, an uh, apostate Jew or the false prophet. So one beast is the Antichrist, a political leader trying to um, undermine the things of Christ, trying to gain political authority. Um, we know that at some point he's going to declare worship of himself. Um, the second beast could most likely be a, a Jew has, who has gone apostate, has walked away from the faith of God, doesn't believe in God, but still carries that name, that title, um, or the false prophet, which would, could be the same person. So you've got the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the red dragon. So you've got Satan, Antichrist, and this false prophet. Others say the first beast is Rome, necessarily Rome, like the nation of Rome. Um, basically what they say that they're referring to a political power. So it may not be literally Rome, but what they're saying is a, a political force. It could be a country, it could be a, a nation that's rising up against God. Uh, others would say the second beast is the Antichrist or false prophet. So it's either Antichrist, false prophet, or it's a nation or a world power, and then the Antichrist or false prophet. So again, just different takes on the same basic characters. Um, the key really is that these individuals, whoever they are, and whether it's a nation, whether it's two individuals, they're going to adamantly be opposed to the things of God. They're going to stand against the things of God and stand against the church. So they're bringing war against the church. Remember, this is also taking place in kind of the second half of the tribulation. So things are kind of ramping up. Okay, so things are getting more and more intense. Um, also, and you can jot this down if you'd like somewhere or um, on the note section there. I know I didn't give you a whole lot of room there. Um, also, we see the infamous 666 talked about here. Uh, this is in chapter 13, uh, verses 16 through 18. Um, talking there, uh, we'll look at verse 18 of chapter 13. And it talks about receiving the mark of the beast and so on and so forth. And it says, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. And so, again, this is where that idea comes from. Now, if you've been around church any amount of time, especially if you grew up in the 70s in the church, uh, you heard 666 connected to a lot of things. Uh, maybe every 10 years you heard another thing was the Antichrist. Another person was the Antichrist. Um, uh, it is almost impossible to list all the suggestions for 666 from Nero. Believe it or not, early Christians believe Nero represented this antichrist figure uh, to attempts to attach it to people today. Um, I heard people saying Obama was the antichrist when he got elected. Um, Hillary Clinton was the antichrist. Oprah has been the antichrist. Um, there's, there's all kinds of people that have had opinions on this. Um, the real key here is this number represents this beast, this 
this antichrist, this one who stands in direct opposition to the things of God. Again, it's kind of the ultimate symbol of rebellion. Okay. Um, why the number six? So it's six, 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 but it really boils down to just six. Why six? Right. Says it right there, right? In verse 18, this is the number of man. Now, why is six the number of man? Okay. It's not perfect. Yes, man was made on the sixth day, right? And so that's why six is attached to the number four, man or mankind. And isn't it interesting that the number that represents direct opposition to God is the number for mankind? Why? Because it's all about us. It's pride. It's arrogance, right? It's, it's us. We're our own God. If you had to step back and look at our culture today in the, in the world, man, there's a lot of it's about me. Is this? There's a lot of power. Right. Um, if a preacher's emphasis in the gospel is more about how it benefits us and how it makes our lives better, and it appeals to the lust in us, the pride in us, the arrogance in us, that is not the gospel. Right. Get saved. And if you have a faith in God, then God's always going to make you wealthy. He's always going to give you health. He's always, it's always, if you just have faith in God, and you always believe in God, it's always going to be good. That is not the gospel. And, and I say all that to say this, I've seen so many get caught up in this nonsense. People that I would have thought at one time had such a grasp on the things of God. And I'm not saying it's nonsense and it's not true to God's word because I don't believe it. I'm saying that because my study of God's word and many, 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 many others study of God word, God's word has shown that is not what the gospel is. It's not taught in God's word. Also, it's not practical among the lives of believers. I mean, think about it. Did the Apostle Paul have faith? Was the Apostle Paul faithful? Did he serve God well? Did he do God's will? And yet he was shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, left for dead, right? I mean, he, just, he was martyred for his faith. And yet some would tell you today, well, if you just have enough faith, you'll always have money to make account. You'll never get sick and all this. So what you're saying is, I need to have more faith than the Apostle Paul. The one who wrote a third of the New Testament had direct revelation from God. That's why I need to have more faith then. And again, I find this stuff doesn't even stick in our culture, but it definitely doesn't work in third world countries. Where believers are going without basic things that we would take for granted, and yet they've got more faith than I do. And so here, when we see this number of man being the number that represents direct opposition to the things of God, that shouldn't surprise us because humanity has always naturally stood against the things of God. We've always wanted it our way. What was the ultimate lie in the garden? How did Satan get Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You can be like God. And that's really why God doesn't want you to eat of it because if you're like him, he's got competition now and he doesn't want competition. But if you eat of this, oh, you'll be like him. Now, it's a half-truth, right? You'll be like him in the sense that you'll know good and evil, but also in that day you surely will die. And so, again, I'm not surprised by this, but that's why that number is so connected to Antichrist, the, the beast, the end times, and all of that. Now, also I'll say this. Some people really, 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 really get into this 666 thing. I've heard people say it's everything from your Social Security number to your debit card, to all kinds of things, okay? I'm just going to be clear. Nobody knows what this mark exactly is. 
Nobody knows what it's going to look like. We don't know because guess what? It's never been. So it's apparently something that they're going to receive some in their hand and it says on their forehead. Now, again, there's debate on this. Is this literal? Is it literally something in our hand? Literally something on our forehead? Earlier, there's a comparison here. What do the believers have? Well, they have a mark too, right? They're marked for Christ, for the Lord. And it stands in opposition or a contradiction, rather, to the mark of the beast. And if you don't have this thing, you can't buy or sell bread. So the way the Antichrist is controlling people to get them to fall in line is through commerce, through goods. If you want to buy bread, you need this mark. That's why some people say when debit cards became a thing, I read an article that was based way back in the day, and it said that's why debit cards are the mark of the beast because you can't buy bread without a debit card. or They're going to make it that way. We've heard all of this, okay? I don't know. So don't drive yourself nuts trying to figure it out, okay? Um, the point is, this is going to be a way of control, a way of manipulating the people. That's the idea, which ultimately will lead to worship of the Antichrist, okay? So I just lay that all out there so we can have an idea of where this is coming from. Also, quickly, before we move into the next section, we also, again, see the false trinity of Satan. Trinity. And again, that shouldn't surprise right? He, he is not creative. He can't make anything on his own. He has to take what God has already done and twist that and pervert that, okay? Ultimately, because he hates the Father, he hates God, and wants to do everything he can to draw as many away from as possible. Satan doesn't attack you because of you. Satan doesn't want to destroy you or devour you like a roaring lion because he's concerned about you. That's another lie that we hear. Well, Satan, Satan's coming after me. Like the only one that can disrupt what God is doing is Satan in my life. I disrupt the things God wants to do in my life way more than Satan does. James 1 talks about that. Why are we led astray into sin? Satan's not even mentioned, really. It's the lust in us, right? Now, does Satan come at us? Is there such a thing as demonic attack? I do believe that. However, I think we go there in a sense of arrogance and pride. It's almost like only Satan could get me off track. Well, you've already got yourself off track if you think that, because that's pretty prideful, right? So, but again, he comes at us. Why? Not to disrupt you or destroy your life. He doesn't care about you. You mean nothing to him. It's to hurt the father. Why? Because we're the crowning creation. And so the only way to hurt the father, he can't go after God because he's not powerful enough. The only way to hurt the father is to disrupt what God is doing here. That's why he went after Adam and Eve. Because he wanted the glory. He wanted the power over God's creation. And so again, we see that. Um, any questions about that before we move ahead on those couple things we talked about? All right, moving to chapter 14. Uh, we see here, chapter 14 opens up, verses 1 through 5. If I can get a volunteer that would like to read that, that would be great. So chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Who'd like to read that for us? Okay, Sarah, awesome, thank you. No, you're fine. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Whithersoever, 
Thank you, ma'am. So we recognize this. Who is the lamb that stood on the mount? Jesus. We're saying same theme, right? He's the lamb earlier, chapter 5. He's the lamb now. Who are these that were redeemed? Who are the redeemed? Okay. Even more than that, though, right? Right? Yep. It's, it's the redeemed. It's the church, right? Now, it's the church out of what we think of the church, but it's still the church. Why? Because it's still the body of Christ, right? It's all the body of Christ. Even Jews that are saved are part of the body of Christ, right? So this is the redeemed. This is all of those who are praising and worshiping God and singing what? This is a new song. Now, what is that new song? Well, we don't know, but we know it's a song similar, most likely, to the songs we looked at earlier in Revelation, where what is the emphasis of the song? What do you think they're emphasizing in this new song based on other songs we've seen in Revelation so far? Glory to God. Holy, holy, holy. The holiness of God. Exalting of Christ, right? It's glory to his name, to his gospel, that they were born. It says they're the first fruits unto God. So this, in my opinion, this could include even, in my mind, the church. Not just those who are even saved during the tribulation. This could even be referring, right? Uh, even in the tribulation, it's, it's always been and always will be. That's how we're saved. And so in your notes there, we see the lamb on Mount Zion. We see a reference again to the 144,000. So specifically talking about that group that we talked about earlier with the witnesses and all that was going out of that and all those that are coming to Christ. But again, I believe it could even apply to a broader scope of those that have been saved. Um, this again is a review of the events that we are familiar with. Some has already happened. Some is building, right? So again, don't you love this? He gives John this vision of the beast and the dragon and the mark of the beast and all this very weighty stuff. And then he goes, hey, by the way, look over here. Look, look at the lamb standing victorious on the mountaintop. Look at all of them who are praising the lamb. And I love that God does that. It looks... I don't know about you, but it feels like we're losing sometimes, right, as a body of Christ. We look at the world around us and we're like, man, we're, we're dying out. You know, churches are dying. Uh, they're not growing. People are turning on their, their backs on God every time we turn around. The world's so wicked. And then we have to stop and pause. And what do we need to do? Stop looking through the keyhole of media and all that. Stand back and look at the big picture. And you're going to see, oh, no, we, we're not going to be victorious. We are victorious. Our, our king already rules and reigns. We haven't lost. We've already won. We're more than conquerors in Christ. So again, we have to be careful there. But again, this is a review for John, which what a blessing that is. Um, many point to that this, these, these mentions here, rather, in 1 through 5, parallels the wickedness of chapter 13. So it's like chapter 13 is all this wickedness, all this satanic stuff, and all these demonic things happening. And then it parallels what God is already doing. And it also precedes a time of judgment. So there's that bridge again. Now we're moving into a time of judgment. So number five in your notes. And I told you we're moving quick. Number five in your notes, we see the angelic messengers. And so as we move through verses six and on of chapter 14, we see three angelic messages or messengers. Uh, there's the angel of the gospel. Uh, and we see that uh, in verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. See that four again? So the four represents the earth, right? 
the four corners of the earth, the four ends of the earth. So it's representing that idea. Saying with a loud voice. So here's the gospel invitation, right? He's going to proclaim the gospel. What is the call? Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So that's the gospel invitation. Pause for a second. Is that how most evangelical Christians share the gospel? With that wording, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. How do most evangelical, good, Bible-believing, saved Christians today, how do most Christians share or begin sharing the gospel? Okay? God loves you. Where do we get that from? Right. Where do we get God loves them? Okay. So it's biblical. Does God love them? Jesus loves them. We read that too in the New Testament. But we seem to really harp on God loves you, and we stay right there, right? What was the gospel that Jesus preached? There was a key word that Jesus used often. Repent. Yep. Yep. Go ahead, Terry. So, yes and yes and sort of yes. Um, Right. You never even mention repent. Mm-hmm. And then people, yeah, but believe in your heart. Like. And when we preach the gospel and we talk about repentance, we have to understand that the only requirement to be saved is placing our faith and trust in Christ, which involves acknowledging that I'm sinful. So I have to acknowledge I need to turn away from that sin and turn to Christ. That's the primary idea of repentance. It's a, it's a, a mental awareness to say, I've sinned. This is sin according to God's word. I need to turn from that and turn to Christ. It's not in and of itself a changing of the heart because we can't change our heart. Right. So once I make that decision to put my faith and trust in Christ, now the spirit of God is the one who begins to change my heart. And now when I repent as a believer, it's fuller, deeper, wider. It's a deeper understanding of sin and what sin brings. And so we have to be careful because obedience doesn't precede salvation. Uh, I can't obey before I get saved. If I could obey before I got saved, I don't need Christ, right? I could just obey the law and be fine. So we have to be careful that we're not talking about repentance in the sense of I turn from my sin, my heart is changed. I don't even desire that stuff anymore. And now I get saved. It's, I turn from my sin, I trust in Christ, and he begins to change my desires, my heart, my interests, my intents. Um, and so, but you're, you, you were right on there when you said that, that it's that repentance, right? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, you're going to really find pretty much one reference to the gospel being centered in love. Almost every other time you find the gospel being preached, it's repent, repent. Repent. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Um, John the Baptist preached a gospel, right? And what did he say? Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. He actually goes a step farther. He says, the axe is at the root of the tree. And you need to turn and repent because the tree, I'm paraphrasing, the tree is coming down. What is that cutting down of the tree? It's judgment. 
right? It's, it's the consequences. And so we need to note there's always been and will always be a call of the gospel that is based in repentance, judgment is coming, uh, turn from your sin, trust in Christ, glorify God, right? Bless you. Glorify God, not glorify man, right? It's not centered in me. Um, so again, I love this, that the gospel here is the same gospel it's always been. When I was reading in one different commentary, they said this is a different gospel because it doesn't center in relationship. It centers in judgment. I disagree with that. So by the way, you can disagree with the commentary. I disagree with that. I think this gospel centers in judgment because that's what we're saved from. And when we're saved, now we enjoy the relationship. But I'm not saved for relationship. I'm saved because I need to be saved from judgment. So again, it's, it's, we have to make sure we're looking at this in the right way. Relationship comes, but that's why I'm saved, to trust him so that I'll be saved from judgment. Uh, next couple here, and we really need to move quick because we're almost out of time. Uh, actually, we are out of time. Uh, angel of the gospel, we'll talk about angel of announcing. Angel of announcing. So I gave you a line there. You don't need to really write much there, whatever you want to. But this is uh, when he talks about Babylon has fallen. Um, so again, this has many views. A fair view is that this represents the anti-Christian political worldview as we've been talking about all along. So this Babylon represents the, the um, anti-Christian political power okay, at this time during the tribulation. So Babylon refers to that. Rome is going to refer to that. Similarly, Rome, Babylon, a world power that stands in opposition to the things of God. And the announcement is it's fallen. So again, we see we're coming closer to the end of the tribulation period. And last one there, angel of reaping. Angel of reaping. We see this in chapter 14, 14 through 19. Uh, this is a gathering not for harvest, but destruction. A gathering not for harvest, but destruction. It's not going out and gathering up the, the destroyer to eradicate it. And so, again, this is only unbelievers would be considered here. This is symbolic, again, just a symbolic way of saying this. But based on the context, only unbelievers will be judged. Uh, Jesus is in judgment over this. In verse 14, we see that some believe this is the judgment of nations. That's spoken of in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. So let me say that again. So this judgment here, and talked about in verse 14, of chapter 14, some believe this is also the judgment of nations, which is recorded in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Okay. Uh, quickly, I'm going to kind of fly through these next couple of things here. Um, let me make sure you got it. Yeah. So uh, in between here, we're going to see chapter 15, uh, verses uh, 2 and 4 again. Give us uh, a moment of reminding us that there's victory, uh, that those have victory over the beast and his image. So again, we see that again, reminding that there will be victory for those that have persevered. Uh, where did we read that earlier in Revelation? Revelation 1, 2, and 3, or well, 2 and 3 with the seven churches. What did he say to everyone? If you persevere, there'll be victory. You'll be victorious. And so again, this is affirmation of those things. Um, letter B in your notes, we see the bowl or vile judgments. Um, so this is chapter 15, verse 1, and then verses 6 through 21. Okay? 
these judgments seem to happen close together, really close together. So uh, the first bowl judgment, these are grievous sores. So number one under letter B, grievous sores. So some say this may be a sort of cancerous type disease. Boils may be potentially actually on the external skin, uh, but it will only fall on those who worship the beast. Believers are exempt. Again, we've seen this in Scripture in the Old Testament, right? We went through Exodus. We studied the book of Exodus. Certain plagues fell upon only the Egyptians, and the, the Israelites were exempt from that. So this is not uncommon to God's judgment. Uh, number two, the second bowl, we see here the waters are turned into blood. The waters are turned into blood, and all living things in the sea will die. Uh, under the second trumpet uh, judgment, a third of marine life died. Now all the rest will be destroyed. Third bowl judgment, uh, all fresh water is turned into blood. So not just the sea and the oceans, but all fresh water is turned into blood. Uh, not just made bitter, which is the word wormwood, as in the, trump, in the third trumpet, but Charles Ryrie says it's like this. They have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, so now they will have to drink blood. So again, that sounds really weird to our ears, but it's, it's picturing this idea of you've done this. Here's the consequence for that choice. So it's coming back around. Basically, what action you took is going to be done to you kind of idea. Fourth bowl judgment, uh, the sun's heat will be strengthened. The sun's heat will be strengthened. Uh, it will scorch men with intense heat. And yet we read that men will harden their hearts and refuse to repent. Fifth bowl judgment. Many believe this means the capital city of the beast will be darkened. And darkened. Darkened. And that those that worship the beast will gnaw their own tongues in pain. So it will be dark, just constant darkness. There's pain. And, uh, yeah, just really strange imagery, but also very intense. Um, so the from, it says there, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the sea of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So that idea there of gnawing, it's only used uh, here in this verse, and it means most intense agony. So there's, there's this intense agony and suffering that they're going to go through. Sixth bowl judgment, uh, the Euphrates River will dry up. The Euphrates River will dry up. It was previously turned to blood. Uh, this will make it possible for the armies of the east to cross over as they move to the Battle of Armageddon. So again, this is all moving towards this climax of the tribulation. Seventh bowl judgment, widespread destruction and chaos. I put, I don't know if I put it in yours. No, um, I put a little note in mine. I said, like, there hasn't already been a lot of that already. But uh, there will be physical disturbances like never before. An earthquake will divide Jerusalem and cause other cities to fall. Islands and mountains will disappear. Again, what, is, what exactly does that mean? We don't know for sure. But we're talking about global level um, uh, occurrences. There will be a hailstorm. With hailstones that weigh 100 pounds. So just think about that for a moment. If you've ever been in a hailstorm with the small 
pieces of hail. Imagine a hailstone that's 100 pounds. Uh, yeah, catastrophic. Uh, and yet, still, man will persist in their blasphemy of God. So, while we move through this portion, I want to remind all of us that this is for the glory of God to be displayed among the nations. The same victory that was granted to the believers, which brought them martyrdom, was available to all who would believe, yet they would stand steadfast in their rebellion of God. In our sin, we are blinded and dead people who will blatantly reject the light of Christ, his goodness and grace, because we love our sin. So what possible hope does the world have? The same hope it's had for over 2,000 years, the message of grace in Christ. We preach and share the gospel that others may be set free by the working of the Holy Spirit and be saved from this level of catastrophe. So, I pray it's been an encouragement to you. I know that's a lot of content. Read through it, look through it. If you have questions, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Um, But we're going to go ahead and uh, pray and then dismiss to prayer. So we have more prayer guides up here. If you did not get one last week, please grab one before you head out. Men will go down the hallway here uh, to the most likely the prayer room. They should be done by now for sure. Uh, uh, there was confusion on that last week. That's why. Um, ladies that went to the room last week, uh, Pastor Greg left early, and Zach wasn't aware that they weren't using that room, so he just took the group in there. So tonight you should be fine to use the room. Um, but again, I, I hope that's true. It's just Zach wasn't aware that you guys were doing that because he doesn't normally take that group in there. So, uh, so we should be good there. So let's pray. And then we'll let you guys be dismissed to prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, that you would just go before us. Give us wisdom and guidance in all these things, Lord. Thank you for being the God that you are. A God that is holy and just and righteous and and true. But also a God who is gracious, loving, merciful, and forgiving. Call us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to your work in this world. Thank you for equipping us for all that we need. May we go forth sharing the gospel, not a gospel that's centered in man and how we benefit from it, but a gospel that's centered in truth, that we do need to be saved from our sin and saved from the consequences and the power and penalty of sin. Yes, Lord, you do love us, and you loved us so much that you went to the cross and died for us, was buried and rose again. And so help us, Lord, as we present the gospel to do so in a balanced way, not favoring one or the other more, but making sure that we include all aspects of what the gospel is and what, it, what you desire it to be in our lives. Go with us now, Lord, as we go into prayer and go our separate ways. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.